Bobby and I are super excited to announce our new sponsor, Oakley. Express your style and build a look that's made for you. I love the look and comfort of my new Oakley glasses. The lenses are like nothing I've ever experienced with their prism lens technology. These lenses protect my sun-sensitive blue eyes, but somehow also make colors even more vibrant and details even more clear. And let me tell you, Oakleys, they are popular in my household as both my sons argue over who gets to borrow my glasses. They both play outdoor sports and they know Oakley is the best for training. Plus, I think they want to look a little bit like Lamar Jackson, who is also sponsored by Oakley. Now, my personal favorite pair is from the HSTN collection. I've literally been wearing mine every day since I got them. So let me tell you what you should do. Head on over to oakley.com right now and get yourself a pair of glasses that will change your look for the better. But don't just trust me. Try them for yourself. Go to oakley.com for more information today. Welcome into the vault. It is Tuesday, June 27th, as we close down this month. And as always, I'm Bobby Trossett, joined by my co-host, Sarah Ellison. We got a lot coming up here. Again, we're not doing traditional morning vault episodes this week just because we're kind of gearing up for, well, we're experimenting a little bit, but we're also gearing up for what's going to be, you know, an R&R few weeks as we get ready for the 2023 season and training camp, which is really just about a month away. If I'm not mistaken, I think, I think things kick off one month from today. Again, we're taping this on the 26th in terms of what the portion is open to the media. So anyway, we have all that coming up and more. Uh, a great conversation was had today uh, between us and the athletics, Jeff Zarebeck. That full conversation is going to be released. It's like over 50 minutes of just really good jam-packed content. And we all know that Jeff is one of the best, if not the best out there in, in the Ravens beat community. So anyway, that will be released in full on Wednesday, July 5th at 5 a.m. Eastern. But we wanted to give you a little bit of a teaser because we felt like, I mean, there were so many different episodes that we could make out of this entire one, Sarah, but we felt like his insights into the Marcus Peters Rocky Sin decision that the organization had to make this offseason. And who knows if it's final? We, we don't know. We think Marcus there's there's some buzz out there about him in Vegas, uh, but we just felt like this was compelling enough to lead with today. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, people, when they listen to it on July 5th, like you said, it's almost an hour long. So there's a lot of angles we could take and we we're like, well, what are some things we could kind of tease or whatever? And so um, but yeah, I think that, um, but, you know, if you followed me on social media, I was a proponent of um, bringing back. Marcus Peters, especially remember on, on draft night when, you know, it took until uh, the fifth or sixth round when they got Caillou Blue Kelly. And I, you know, I'm just concerned about depth. I'm concerned about it. And so, um, and then when we had, you know, uh, Ian Rappaport on and Ian said, well, you know, the Ravens shows Rocky, they gave Marcus Peters money to Rocky Sin. So that's why I wanted to ask Jeff today, what was going on behind the scenes? Why did the Ravens choose Rocky Sin over Marcus Peters? Yeah, you know, um, I've treaded carefully a little bit with this question because I don't want to come out like um, disparaging Marcus Peters in, in any way, shape, or form. 
Last year was just a struggle, uh, Sarah, for team and him. You know, he wasn't healthy, obviously. Um, didn't play particularly well. Uh, I think Marcus Peters would be the first to say it. And, you know, I think things boiled over a little bit. You know, the Ravens love the edge he plays with. They respect him as a person player. But sometimes when he's struggling, that can make things difficult, right? I, I mean, and I'm not even just talking for about a tolerance, you know, thing. Obviously, you take more from a player who's producing on the field. Like you, you get longer leash if you're playing well. I just think at times it, it, the whole thing frustrated Marcus Peters. He wasn't playing like himself. And, um, you, you know, that led to a couple, uh, you know, as I said, I don't want to say blow ups because – I think that would probably be exaggerating it, but you know, there are just, it was just difficult at times, uh, you know, for him and the team. And I, you know, I went into the off season after a while from what I heard thinking, you know, both sides are probably ready for, for a new, you know, a new challenge, but that doesn't really mean that they close the door on each other. You know, I, I, I think, uh, I wasn't ready to rule it out. You know, I talked to people, decision makers who weren't ready to rule it out. It just wasn't a front burner issue. He wasn't kind of on the top of their list of guys they wanted to resign. I think they wanted to get a little younger uh, at that spot. And 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 they did that in Rocky Asin. And, you know, we'll see. You know, as I said, as you said, Victor Four of the, you know, one of our uh, Vegas uh, beat guys is saying he expects them to uh, – you know, uh, sign Marcus before training camp. We'll see if that happens. Uh, you know, uh, it, it certainly makes sense. Um, but I think the Ravens were just kind of ready from a personality and a, a, you know, from personality standpoint and an age standpoint to kind of, you know, go in a little different direction there. Um, but again, uh, there's a lot of people who have an awful lot of respect for Marcus Peters in that building, which is why I've never, you know, closed the door totally uh, on, a, on a reunion. Yeah, so Bobby, I thought that was that was good from from Jeff there. I, I like the way he's always trying to be, you know, pinpoint accurate, and it just sounded like it was a con- conglomeration of three things. Um, and I know we didn't play the full clip, but it was obviously age. So Marcus Peters is thirty now. I think he turns thirty one before the season begins, or maybe right at the the start of it. Then there's, um, you know the personality conflicts and, and this is the part we didn't play there. Um, he, you know, it's, it's hard to like, it's not like he's, he's completely saying the Ravens were fed up with Marcus Peters, right. With his, with his personality. We all know Marcus Peters personality. That's part of the reasons why we love him so much is, you know, you just think of him at the, at the logo, you know, of the Titans during that division playoff. win. you love that, you love the way he takes on, uh, the opponents, you love his passion, all of that. But sometimes when that's directed at your own team or your own head coach, then it kind of becomes difficult to manage. And I had mentioned to Jeff that the way he describes Marcus Peters' personality reminds me a lot of Ed Reed. And I had worked there a lot of the time that Ed Reed was there. And you love Ed Reed. You love him. But he also was a personality that was like, you didn't know what you were going to get that day. And, and, um, and so that doesn't mean that the Ravens didn't love Ed. It was just like, it's not like a, a Lamar where you know what you're going to get every day, you know, and it's, and you're cool and, you know, there's no blow ups and, and all that kind of stuff, you know, 
you know, within the, the coaches in the locker room and that kind of stuff. So it wasn't that they were totally turned off by that. But when you combine that with his age and the fact that he did take a step back last year and Marcus Peters himself was not happy with his own play. And perhaps that's totally because he wasn't fully recovered from injury. So, but, but in the end, they wanted to get younger. They wanted to have, a, you know, a, a personality that wasn't as volatile. And they felt like Rocky Sin was ascending in terms of performance, whereas Marcus Peters might be on the decline. So, uh, so I thought that was a great answer uh, from Jeff there, but also being clear to say that doesn't mean that, that, you know, he's completely ruled out because, because they do have so much love for one another. That's why he's not closing the door yet. Um, And yeah, maybe he ends up signing with the Raiders, but the door isn't completely closed because there is still love there and there is still talent there. There would just have to be an understanding of a new role and the money and everything else there. So that, that first clip was in response to your question. And as he's giving that answer, I'm thinking in my head, I definitely want to follow up in terms of like, we, we think we get the sense that this was an organizational decision. Right. And because we remember one of the comments that, Marcus put on, and I, I believe we mentioned this in a morning vault within the last couple of weeks, but it, it was either at an OTA session or mandatory minicamp. I think it was during minicamp. Maybe it was one of the last OTA sessions, but Marcus commented on Lamar's Instagram photo saying, you know, miss you guys with a crying emoji or something along those lines. So that got me thinking about whether or not this was more so from an organizational, you know, priority or a personal priority. And Jeff made it pretty clear. I do. I think it's more of the organizational, you, you know, and, and, and again, as I said, I want to say, I don't want to be clear. I don't even know that it's a final decision. I, I just think the decision was made to go in a different direction as of now without, you know, completely ruling out Marcus Peters. I, I don't think it was a money thing. The sense I, I got all along was they felt like they could get him back at a reasonable deal that would work for both sides. And, and the same goes for another you know, veteran corner they had last year, Kyle Fuller. I wouldn't close the door on that happening either, although he's a little in a different case because he's rehabbing a, an ACL. Um, yeah, we didn't talk to Marcus Peters all last year. Just didn't didn't have any interest in talking, and that that's his prerogative. Uh, prerogative. But he is an incredibly interesting guy. I always go back to when they got him in a trade. Um, I reached out to Eric Weddle, who I'd gotten to know in Baltimore, and I said, okay, what, do, what am I in for here? Because, you know, the stories of Marcus's volatility were well documented. And Eric Weddle flat out said he's one of the best guys I've ever played with. And um, that said a lot, I, I thought, and it proved it. I, I mean, he, you know, from a teammate standpoint, they absolutely loved him. I, you know, and even when he wasn't healthy last year, seeing him coach on the sideline and ride opponents and get into refs and yell out <laughs> plays – He's an impressive guy. I mean, he's a mercurial guy. He's volatile. You don't know what you're going to get some days from him, you know, and that's, you know, on the field too with his play. So, um, you know, I, I don't necessarily, I don't want to, again, I want to be clear. I don't want to make like things went totally bad last year. I just think he was a guy who couldn't really play like he's used to playing um, because of, uh, you know, he wasn't, 100% healthy. You know, he was working back from a major injury and then he got more banged up during the course of the season. Um, so I don't think there's burn bridges there, one iota. Um, I just think they made the decision to kind of 
go a little, you know, go to younger, go for a little new, go for a different guy. And I, I also think guys, I mean, if he comes back now, I don't necessarily know he's a hundred percent snap guy. Right. Uh, I mean, you know, you're going to want to play Kyle Hamilton in, in the nickel at times in slot. And, and you paid Rocky Asin and obviously still have Marlon Humphrey there. And there may be times you want to get younger guys like, you know, Armour Davis and, and Pepe Williams and Trevon Mullen and Blue Kelly. You may want to get them looks. So would that sit well with Marcus Peters if he's not a 100% snap guy? Would he be useful in that role? I think that's another one of the questions that, they pro- that they've probably discussed at length. But I did see that post uh, from him and just a guy who fit really well in Baltimore – um, completely changed the defense when they got him, when they traded him. Never forget that Seattle game when he took one of the house, what, four or five days after he was acquired. I was on the field when him and Jalen Ramsey went after, got into it, and I was probably five yards away when they were – interesting guy, man. I, I, I mean, I, you know, I really respected him, and, and there's an edge there, but he's a very interesting guy, that's for sure. Marcus, um, while – he agreed to do that piece with the ringer last year, which we talked about with Jeff essentially that, you know, confronted his football immortality and, and those dark, you know, those dark months when he was down with the torn ACL, you know, an extended time for really the first time in his career. While all of that was there, he's too prideful of a guy to not feel like he still has more left in the tank. And you know what? Who knows? He might after a, a full off season of rehab, which he didn't necessarily have, you know, last year because he was kind of trying to ramp it up quickly to get back. Like maybe he does, maybe he will still have something, but maybe that something's not best suited in Baltimore because of, like Jeff said, there's some depth there. We don't know how, how much depth there is. And I think a lot of people in Baltimore are probably conflicted over this, whether or not they'd, they'd rather have Rock or Marcus there starting opposite Marlin. Uh, but he's just too prideful to to go and hand in the towel at this point. The Vault is sponsored by Oakley. Express your style and build a look that's made for you. And I know for me, I've been rocking the prism black polarized lenses this summer, and I'm loving them so far. Oakley's changing the game, and it's time to discover a whole new world of possibilities. Do you run? Do you golf? Maybe you train or perhaps you just want to look like Lamar Action Jackson. If any of the above is true, you got to get yourself a pair of Oakleys today. Suited for everyday eyewear with frames and lenses allowing for an extension of self. Really, it's an expression of your personality. There's more than meets the eye. And here on The Vault, we're all about look good, feel good, perform good. And that's why Oakley is the perfect partner for us. And hey, since it's officially summer, you may want to upgrade your sunglasses game right now. So go visit oakley.com to find yourself a pair today. Oakley offers prism lens technology, which is a proprietary technology to Oakley and available for everyday settings as well. If you're interested in learning more, head on over to oakley.com and do your own research. And while you're there, Get yourself a pair of everyday glasses that'll be sure to change your look for the better. When you wear Oakley, there really is more than meets the eye, but don't just trust Sarah and I. Try for yourself. I've worn a lot of sunglasses brands in my life, and I can confidently say that Oakley's not only the best looking, but the best quality out there. So head on over to oakley.com for more information today. 
Well, I'll just tell you, I'm not conflicted. I would like to have Marcus Peters back still, uh, but I don't have a ton of hope just because of the reports out of out of Las Vegas. Um, but I would love Rocky Hassan, Marcus Peters, and and Marlon Humphrey. But I don't know that that's what Marcus wants, and I don't know if that's in the cards. But I would celebrate it if the Ravens and Marcus somehow come back together again for 2023. All right, so let's get into what would you know typically be like our topic two if we were doing our, our normal uh, morning vault. This topic is from the Baltimore Banners' Jonas Schaefer. Let's see, early Monday morning, Jonas put out an incredibly well, I mean, just super in-depth, not just with numbers, but reviewing tape. He put he He looked into... Lamar Jackson's deep throw accuracy. I I think that's the way he termed it. Yes, the headline, Ravens film study, a mid-offensive overhaul, Lamar Jackson's downfield passing will need work. Okay, so it's going to be very tempting for, you know, all of us that love Lamar to quickly come to his defense. But I hope that, you know, let me explain this whole article and then you might see if there there is some some uh, some substance, which I think there's a lot from from Jonas. So basically what Jonas did is he looked into both the numbers of his downfield passing, Lamar's downfield passing, and then. And that's defined as uh, 20 yards or more. Okay, so 20 yards or more downfield passing. Okay, and then, so there were 45 of those. So not only did he just look at the stats, and he's he looks at uh, Sports Info Solutions, and I'll give you some of these stats, but then Jonas went one by one, and he watched all 45 of those downfield passing attempts. He watched every single one and how they unfolded. Okay. So then once he looked at each one, he could say, okay, not only do I have these stats and the ranking of Lamar Jackson compared to other NFL quarterbacks, but now I'm going to take it a step further. And I'm going to say, is the blame on Lamar or is the blame on his supporting cast, the supporting cast being his offensive line, his other weapons, and then his, his offensive coordinator. Okay, so I'm going to see if it's Lamar's fault, the offensive supporting staff, or is it just good defense? Okay, so he tried to take an extra step to make sure that he wasn't like unfairly putting blame. So now, could you go into the 45 and maybe diagnose all 45 yourself and say, I disagree with you, Jonas, here and there? Sure. But I guess what I'm getting at here, Bobby, is that I think this is a good faith attempt from Jonas to to pick apart the, the downfield passing and see where the Ravens can improve. Okay. So that's kind of the overview of it. So here, here are the stats. In 2022... There were 34 quarterbacks because of injuries who attempted at least 25 deep deep passes. Okay. Okay. Jackson, Lamar Jackson finished last among all these 34 quarterbacks in a catchable rate. Okay. So let me just give you one play that everybody might remember from the 2022 season that even Lamar himself was like, that was a terrible play. So he had, it was against the Bengals. Lamar Jackson had, Telon Wallace down the right hash marks wide open. Okay. I mean, like a defender is maybe five yards behind and Lamar 
throws it out to him and and it's not even catchable like even if Telon Wallace had completely dived and laid out there was no way he was going to get the ball so that's how bad the pass was and then even Lamar afterwards like oh my gosh that was terrible right so Lamar does have some some bad days for sure so anyway in 2022 last season he only had a 41% catchable rank that was last among all 34 quarterbacks that qualified okay now also he looked at an on target rate so how often is it like catchable so he was at 35.9% which was 32nd out of 34 quarterbacks so not great okay now i want to point out here while it wasn't great lamar has been much better in the past okay in 2021 he ranked 17th and honestly with the way the you know with all the weapons that the Ravens have with running the ball and the tight like everything. 17th is really all the Ravens need. But then in 2020, his on-target rate was 11th in the league. So he was at 58% of on-target rate. So we all know Lamar is capable of being better. But last season, whether it was his fault, his supporting cast fault, or the defense's fault, he was last in the NFL in a catchable rate. I think it's fair to point that out. Now, of those... Um, 45 attempts. Here's how Jonas decides. He says, um, Jonas, after looking through it all, he blames Jackson on 13 of his 30 misfires on deep passes. And then that means the opposing defense and then the supporting cast were responsible for 11 for 11 and six play failures. Oh, so 11 failures because of the defense and then six failures because of the supporting cast. So I thought that was like a good faith effort to say, hey, this is not on Lamar. So the takeaway is as the Ravens bringing in Todd Munkin, trying to improve the supporting cast with Todd Munkin. They're trying to improve the supporting cast with new wide receivers. Obviously got OBJ, hopefully uh, Rashad Bateman's healthy, Zay Flowers, Nelson Aguilar, and then you've got Devin DuVernay and others coming back. Okay. Then offensive line, I guess what the Ravens are saying, we felt like the offensive line was pretty good, right? So didn't make big changes. We don't know who the left, the left guard is. So the Ravens are doing what they think they can to help with the supporting cast. That leaves on Lamar to say, hey, I got to get better too because I know I can be. I've, I've done it better in 2020 and 2021, so I know I can be better. He, Bobby, Lamar has such a strong arm. It's a flick of the wrist, and he can launch a ball. So to me, this is about, when it is on him, it's about getting back his touch. Let's get our touch back on these deep passes so that when it is time that we go and throw one, that we can be much more successful to the point that we're that I'm no longer last in catchable rate. I mean, I'll tell you what Jonas did. That was about as thorough as it gets right there. So again, you can find that piece uh, on the Baltimore banner. You can find it on, on Jonas Schaefer's Twitter account at Jonas underscore Schaefer. But his top takeaway is our top takeaway, right? Like there were a good portion of open throws missed last year. So I think from a deep ball game accuracy wise, and red zone efficiency or lack thereof last year. Those two areas have to be at the top of Lamar's priority list for 2023. Obviously, on a different set of priority list is understanding and being able to run and, and orchestrate within Todd Munkin's new offense that he has not yet run at the pro level. 
right? He, he ran a similar style offense with Bobby Petrino in college. But that's, that's obviously at the top of Mount Everest. But right below it, I feel like those are the two areas that I'd like to see, you know, him hone in on. Yeah, I mean, we talked about red zone, deep, red zone offense uh, in the last episode. That one's top, top, top of my list. And, and and honestly, I don't even know, like, deep passing, just so many things have to go right. So many things, which is why I'm glad that Jonas tried to break it down to see, wait, was this the defense? Was this the supporting cast or was it Lamar? And so for for a deep pass to actually connect, everybody has to be on the same page. And then obviously that includes Lamar. Like he's just got to get a better touch on those and make sure he's put in the right place when, when it's on, when, when his offensive line holds up and is when, re, and when his receivers are in the right place and when Todd Munkin, you know, gives, um, you know, a great scheme for him and a great play yeah. for him. So it, it takes a, you know, it takes a village. It takes a team. I mean, football is the ultimate team sport, but we can't exclude Lamar from getting better too. Yeah, now, let's not forget, too, that their best deep ball connection converted last year was Deshaun Jackson on the receiving end. And that's all <laughs> due respect to to one of the great games greats, right, in the past. But that in the past is, is the past. You know, like he shouldn't have been in Baltimore last year. They needed him. That shows you how desperate they were. So some of that has to, to your point, you know, being that there were a lot of missed open throws, some of that has to, yeah, there's a, a wide range of, of factors that may have led to them. Perhaps one of those could have been in the personnel department. But, you know, the big takeaway here, we're not absolving, you know, Lamar of this blame-wise. And and he's he'd be the first to to understand that. And I'm sure that's been a major emphasis this offseason, both in the film room and, and understanding, you know, what's next uh, with, with Todd Munkin. So speaking of uh, of what's next, Orlando Brown Jr., former Raven, talked a little bit about what he thinks is next in Baltimore. I have a, I have a sense, Sarah, that being he literally sat in at the Bristol headquarters for ESPN on Monday and did a whole day of segments on their wide variety of, of programming. I get the sense that he's probably getting himself ready, not any, anytime soon, but I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up having a TV career post football. And anyway, he sat in at the desk and talked about a couple different things related to the 2023 Ravens from his perspective. Here he is. I think it's going to help the run game, not just the pass game because of the spacing. You're finally going to see some light boxes, which Lamar Jackson has seen very few of during his time in Baltimore. But Orlando, the unsung heroes of this Baltimore team over the last few years have been Patrick Ricard. Remember Nick Boyle was such a good blocking Mm -hmm. tight end. That's a big part of the reason why this rushing attack has been so dominant. So in your mind, do you think, well, the run game will benefit from all the space? Or do you think you need to see kind of a mix of different personnel groupings to maximize the sort of the potential of what the Ravens do on the ground? Yeah, I mean, I think it's clear. You know, they're going to be in a lot of 11 personnel, one tight end, one back stuff, and they're going to spread guys out. They're going to create uh, nickel fronts, you know, four-man fronts and light boxes, and they're mm-hmm. going to force people to play a college-style offense with the space and things that Lamar's going to be able to do with his feet, with the talent that they have at the receiver position, with J.K. Dobbins and everything they'll be able to do, man. They've got an awesome left tackle, and my guy Ronnie Stanley, um, I-, I think sky's the limit for what their offense can be, man. Uh, you know, I'll be interested to see how they put it together, how everything will work, but I do feel as though 
it'll be positive in the run game just with the way that things will be spread out. Real quick, one last quick mm-hmm. question. Yeah. As a passer, yeah. what do we not know about Lamar that you do? Like, what, yeah. what, what about him as a passer is, is better than we, than we have an appreciation for? Yeah, I mean, I think, and it's kind of unspoken about, man, but, uh, you know, but just because he was a hindered in the system that he was in, sure. just the way that, you know, things were called. But, I mean, he has an incredible feel for the pass game. And you look at his numbers and what he's able to do, especially in between the numbers, on this level in tight windows, yeah. it's very, very difficult. Mm. Now, you know, you've been there. It's, it's, sure. it's still hard to throw, you know, outside the numbers. Sure. Very, very very hard but you know what he's able to do on this level in 2023 2019 throwing that ball in between numbers is special all right partner so uh, again from a schematic standpoint he's expecting the ravens to run you know a, a ton of 11 personnel a back a tight end three wide receivers but then let's not let's not bury what you just heard there i mean essentially without naming greg roman orlando said that Lamar was hindered by the system he's been in. So here come all these guys out of the woodwork telling us how they really feel over the years, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's for sure. And I don't think that's anything new to uh, Ravens fans. I mean, you know, that's why Hollywood Brown wanted out. Steve Smith Sr. was calling him out. Um, you know, that's why they brought in Todd Munkin. They just felt like things got stale and Lamar Jackson was not progressing as a, as a pastor. So I don't, I don't think that's news, but yeah, I think people are feeling more comfortable. Former players are feeling more and more comfortable yeah. to kind of say it more clearly. You know, he's like, yeah, he was hindered, but how, how could you, how could you not think that when, you know, the emphasis was so much on, on running now. And by the way, I don't, uh, we, <laughs> I don't only want to put that blame on Greg Roman. I mean, the Ravens put in a system. Remember, I remember John Harbaugh before 2019, he was like, we're going to have a revolutionary offense. And so he co-signed on it. You know, Steve Bashotti co-signed on it. it was they put Greg Roman in because that's what they also wanted to run. Um, but once they realized that it was, you know, stale and no longer working, then it was like, okay, we're going to get a new, a new offensive coordinator where I, I don't know if I want to say I disagree. I almost feel like that's a, str- a stronger word than I mean to apply just because I don't know what's going to happen. But when, um, Mina asked the question, um, she asked, do you think it's going to be a mix of personnel? And that's more how I understand that it's going to be. I have a hard time thinking that one tight end, yeah, one running back, but one tight end and three wide receivers are going to be what we primarily see. I I do think we're going to see it spread out quite a bit um, because Lamar just does so well in space. And I also think one thing that's underrated about him is his ability to read situations and read things. Like He's just so good at improvising. Um so I love th- I love that they're going to spread it out. We've been saying this for for months that they're going to attack every blade of grass. So I agree with that. I just have a hard time thinking with Mark Andrews and Isaiah Likely, and you know who knows what Charlie Kohler is going to be. Are we really not going to see a good mix of two tight ends in there? And so yeah, I definitely think that we'll have more personnel, more than we've probably seen in quite some time. But I don't know. Is it is it really going to be primarily that, or is it going to be a mix like like Mina had suggested? And my thought is it's more a mix rather than just primarily an eleven personnel. But but we're going to find out. Yeah, we will find out. And if Kadri has anything to do with it, you better believe he's going to want more than just one in there, right? Come on. <laughs> yeah. 
know. We're gonna have to revisit our bet. I can't remember what it was, but yeah, uh, he's he's uh, all on the Charlie Kohler train. Speaking of tight ends, why don't you close us out with this this ranking that we were gonna discuss earlier this week, but then things got crazy just getting ready for you know all these different pieces of content we've been putting together. So, what is this tight end ranking that you speak of? Oh, I, I honestly don't think it's that that big of a deal. I just know it got popped up on 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 Ravens Twitter. Um, so uh, on the thirty third team, um, Clay Harbor uh, ranked the top seven tight ends. One and two is not a big surprise. You've got Travis Kelsey and George Kittle, and then he put number three Dallas Godert, and then number four Mark Andrews. And of course, Ravens Twitter uh, objected to this, uh, feeling like Mark Andrews should at least be number three. Um, I agree. I I don't watch George Kittle as much because he's in the NFC, so I don't get to see him as much. I'm, I'm okay with Travis Kelsey at number one, but I think Mark at least should be number three in the conversation for two. Um, and... Uh, and yeah, so, but, but we could do these all day. There's different rankings coming out by different people all the time. So that's why I see it more as like a, a quick hit thing kind of mentioning out there. Yeah. Yeah. To me, like, you know, I don't know. I, part of me, I have a love hate relationship with the whole ranking thing, especially this time of year, but um, I feel like it's, you know, something that the players just scoff at, you know, so when, when we've had a chance to catch up with players too, you know, it's like, I think we, you're, you're more in tune with their perspective. Like, you know, we're taping this on a day that we, we caught up with Nick Moore, you know, Ravens long snapper. And he was just such an insightful guy. And, and you're just reminded that, and of course you, you spent over a decade around players, you know, up close and personally, you, you realize that especially if they're not necessarily in tune with social media, then they, they may not even be aware of, of people caring about this, you know? So it's mm. just, it's funny that that's not even remotely in there in the ballpark, but, but to me, there's, there's a, a sizable gap um, at the quarterback and, and tight end positions with Mahomes and Kelsey, just really being on a different level. Uh, Mahomes maybe more so than Kelsey, but Travis is statistically one of the best tight ends to ever play the game. So, um, I, I don't have any problem with him, obviously, like you mentioned, but I think there's, a, you know, there's certainly some wiggle room after that. And, and the fact that Mark, there's nothing new, just like the whole Greg Roman conversation and criticism. That's not really anything new. Mark Andrews being disrespected nationally. There's nothing new there. He's overlooked for whatever reason. I don't know why, uh, but he just he just is. I don't know if it's the market or or the player or how big of a a personality that Travis Kelsey is and George Kittle has a pretty big personality as well. Uh, if, if you, if you, if, you know, if you've ever watched any interview that he's given, yeah. but, uh, but yeah, I think we're, you know, we're in agreement. Yeah. He should absolutely be in the conversation uh, for a top two, you know, tight end. Yeah. And um, I definitely think personality plays into it. I also do think just to like, you know, try to give the other side of Mark Andrews, there have been big moments where I felt like, Mark Andrews didn't totally come up. So maybe uh, Kelsey and Kittle gets a, an edge because they go deeper in the, in the playoffs um, than the, the Ravens have. And now, it, you know, national media always blame that on Lamar. Um, but, but um, we all know that's not the case. It's not, you know, everybody's got to play their best once they hit the playoffs. But just one other thing for those that don't know who Clay Harbor is, who put this list together two 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 fun facts, and then you can decide, uh, you know, how much stock you want to put into it? Clay is uh, well was a former tight end for the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, 
So he might be slightly, slightly mm-hmm. biased for Dallas Goder. Yeah. The second thing is because I was just looking him up and I was like, how do I know that name? I like it's not just because he played for Philadelphia and I looked up his picture. I'm like, Oh, that's how <laughs> I, I do watch uh, a guilty pleasure. Pleasure of mine. Bobby is um, the bachelor. Mm. <laughs> and he was, a I know this about you. He was a contestant <laughs> on bachelorette. And I was like, that's where I definitely know him from. So, uh, but yeah, just like we might be biased for Mark Andrews. Cause we cover, the Ravens nonstop and we don't see as much as these guys, guys, these other guys. So we might be, you know, a little bit biased for Mark Andrews. Uh, Clay Harbor might be a little bit more biased for the, for the Philadelphia Eagles uh, rankings. I think so. I think so. wanted to share a message before we jump to um, from Jose Diaz. Uh, he hit me up on Facebook messenger. He must've heard one of our quick little clips on, on Roquan's second trip to Japan going over there with the NFL. And, and anyway, he messaged me tonight saying, uh, you know, how's it going, Bobby? I was actually just messaging back and forth with Roquan while he's in Japan a little while ago. Uh, he's where my former unit is in, oh my gosh, you're going to have to help me out since you've been to Japan on the pronunciation here. And I should know it because I've been to Asia multiple times, but I haven't been to Japan. Um, is it Okinawa or? That's how I say it. Okinawa. Oh, Okinawa. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, uh, Jose. That doesn't mean that either one based. of us are correct, but that's how I say it. Yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully we get blasted for it and I can, we can fix it after that. Just like I was with Sala a few months ago. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Okinawa. So Jose was formerly based in Okinawa. And uh, anyway, he said he's having a blast and he, uh, he got worked out and on, on a CrossFit hit kind of course out there in Japan. So even though Roquan's essentially out there as an ambassador for the NFL, he's still working out, which which I love. So just wanted to yeah. share that message from Jose and, and obviously safe travels to Roquan as he makes his way back. And uh, I think with that, we're, we're good to go, right? We'll be back later this week. We'll be back later this week. We'll be All back right, tomorrow, for- as we, we always will. say at the end. Yeah, <laughs> we will. We will be back on... Uh, on, on Wednesday morning, of course, with the Ravens news you need to know. So be on the lookout for that and some more content as well. Again, next week, interviews with Jeff Zarebeck, uh, Nick Moore, and more will be dropping. And, and like we mentioned, um, our mailbag episode is coming up. We're going to be taping that later this week. So please get your questions in, especially if you're a patron, uh, to, to you know throw those submissions in for the Q&A. And with that, for Sarah Ellison, I'm Bobby Trossett signing off from this Tuesday morning edition here on The Vault. We appreciate you, and we will talk to you soon.